Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. Take your Bibles, go to 1 John chapter 2. Uh, we're not going to get very far into chapter 2 this morning, but we are in chapter 2. We're going to focus really on the first two verses this morning. And uh, we'll, we'll go back uh, just a bit and uh, pick up maybe back in, in verse 5, just to kind of give us a running start uh, with, with where we're going to be this morning. Um, it's really kind of, as I said last week, uh, kind of the second part of that message because they're going to go hand in hand with what we talked about last week. Uh, Last week we looked at the the reality for the life of the believer that that we can't just say, well, it doesn't really matter how I live. Um, You know, I can can have fellowship with Christ. I can have fellowship with other believers, uh, but, but I can live however I want. And, and that's not going to affect those two things. John would say absolutely not. The, the way that we live, if, if we're not seeking to live righteous lives, that absolutely will affect our fellowship with God and it will affect our, our fellowship with one another. Now, now let me be real, real clear here. Um, he's writing to a church, right? So he's writing to uh, a gathering of local believers. So, so he's not talking here about your relationship with God. Meaning, um, as a child who is, who is uh, saved by God, loved by God, forgiven by God, because he's writing to folks inside a local church. So th- that assumption is there that most of these people have, have accepted Christ as Savior, they've come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and they're seeking to follow after him, but, but we hit hang-ups in our lives. So he's talking about how we can maintain our fellowship. Now, now I would say this. If, if you've lived in such a way where you said, you know, I, I, I don't, I know I don't, I know my life doesn't look the way God wants it to, um, but, but I don't really have any desire to change that. Uh, I just want God to, uh, and, and I want God to be okay with that. Uh, in that case, I would say you need to reexamine that relationship, whether or not you've ever really come to faith in Christ, because the, the picture the Bible gives us of uh, followers of Christ is that we can't simply say, well, I'm going to live however I want, uh, and, and God's not going to look down on that. I'm going to live however I want, and then I'll just walk into heaven, and, and I'll you know, lay down my get-out-of-hell-free card. Hey, I, I walked the aisle and prayed the prayer, and I hopped in the tank. I'm good to go. Let me in. No, no, you can't do that. But what John's also doing, so, so he wants to avoid that kind of confusion that, well, it doesn't matter how we live. But he's also wanting to lay out this reality for us, okay? So that when we slip and fall as believers, when we get tripped up with sin, it won't wreck everything that we thought we knew about who God is, what Christ has done in our lives, and how we're responding to it. And that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning is looking at how do we respond when we find ourselves in sin as followers of Christ, as believers. So if you will stand with me, we're going to read, and, and as I said, we're going to pick up in chapter 1, verse 5, and read through chapter 2, verse 2. Those, those are the verses that will be on the screen, so uh, follow along and read along with me. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light And there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, 
We are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He goes on and he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the chance to be here. Will you open up your word to us? And will you show us how we can respond as followers of Christ when we find ourselves tripped up by sin. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. So here, John lays out pretty explicitly one of the purposes for his writing. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And he follows that up and he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, now here's the way I read this, okay, and here's the way I think we should read this. When he says, uh, but if anyone does sin, if, if anyone does sin, I think what he's really saying there when he says if is when, okay? Not, because the question as a follower of Christ is not if you're going to sin at some point, but it's when you're going to sin. And I would say even for, for the believer, the, the issue is not whether or not we're going to sin, because we are, anyone who's been a believer for more than about five minutes can attest to that, right? Hey, man, when, when, as soon as I came to faith in Christ, like, everything that tripped me up before didn't suddenly go away. So the question then becomes not, not whether or not we're going to sin, but what do we do? How do we respond when we do sin? And the reason, the reason I say that is, is this. You are not going to reach sinless perfection in this life. It's not going to happen. Because your flesh, the, the Bible says your flesh still wars against that new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, right? So, so something died when, when I became a follower of Christ. My old self died, and I'm a new person. But the Bible says that, that your flesh still fights against that new person. And, and we're not strong enough on our own to resist that all the time. There will be times where we give in. There will be times when we stumble into sin. There might be times as a believer, and I think you can attest to this as well, we know something's wrong, we know we shouldn't be doing it, and we run headlong into it. Whee! Maybe this won't turn out as bad as last time, right? Like, that, that's the way we think about things. So John's here t- is telling us, listen, this is a reality in your life. You are going to sin. You will not reach sinless perfection in this life. And if you have that expectation of yourself, I think there are two big things that will happen in your life. The first is that you will consistently 
be frustrated and lacking joy in your walk with Christ. If you expect that you're going to finally reach a plateau or reach this point where you no longer struggle with sin, you will constantly be frustrated in your walk with Christ. Because I'm just guessing, and I'm still in this from Matt Chandler, but he said it, it's good, and it's true. Uh, Ten years ago, you probably thought you'd be further along right now than you are. And so what, what good does that do, man? If we're, just, if we're just constantly chasing after ourselves 10 years from now, thinking, man, in, in 10 years, you know, I'm going to be beyond this thing. I'm going to be a better person than I am now. I'll be a more faithful follower of Christ. What, what happens when you reach 10 years from now and you still fall short of your standard? But there's a second danger in that, and that is that, that you will make yourself a list of the things that you think you have to do in order to be a good Christian. And you'll start checking those off. And when you've reached a point where you've successfully checked off all your marks, you will look down on everyone who doesn't live the same way that you do. Which, by the way, that whole process is called pride, which is a sin in the Bible, so you're still not at sinless perfection. But the danger of that is that you create kind of a, 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 an outline or a box of what your life needs to look like that. And if that, looks, and if that looks like the way you want it to, you'll look down on everyone whose life doesn't look as good as you. So, so let me say this again, okay? Sinless perfection is not a reality. Now, now we talked last week and, and the last couple of weeks about how no believer should ever actively walk in sin. That is non-repentant, not, not even kind of feeling a desire to turn away from some stuff in your life, but just saying, you know what, this is how I'm going to live. And, and I don't care what the Bible says, but th this, this is how my life is going to look. Like I said earlier, if, if you do that, if you're doing that now, you need to reevaluate your life as a follower of Christ. Because I believe the Bible says that if you can live that way and not feel the slightest twinge of conviction, not feel the slightest um, desire to live the way God has told us to live, you, you are not a follower of Christ. Okay? But, so, so we can't just uh, walk in sin with reckless abandon, but... We're all going to have times where we're all going to have times where our lives don't look the way they should as followers of Christ. That's a reality. And in fact, even Paul experienced this in his own life. Romans chapter 7 verse 15, he says this, "For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate." And he, and he goes on for a little bit there in Romans chapter 7, he says, "For I know the good that I'm supposed to do." Right? So so let's imagine goods over here. Like like I know this is the thing that I want to do. I can see it. Like, like, I know I'm supposed to do that. And he goes, but I don't do it. And I know that there's some stuff over here that I don't need to do. But I find myself doing it. And that leads Paul to a point where he finally cries out, listen, I'm, he said, I, I agree with the law when it, when it, that the law is good because the law points out my sin. It tells me what I should be doing and what I should not be doing. And when I find myself doing opposite of that, he says, that, that, causes me to recognize that I'm a lawbreaker. Now, what does that do in our lives? Well, if we don't have the right framework to understand why Christ came to begin with, we're going to look at that and go, man, this is impossible. And the whole point of the law is, is saying, yes, you're right, it's impossible. You can't keep it perfectly. 
You need someone to step in to, to rescue you. We'll get there in a second. Um, one, one of the commentaries I read, there, uh, Dr. David Allen, who's a, a professor at, of preaching at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, one of the commentaries I was reading, he said this, the trajectory of our lives should be toward holiness and away from sin. The trajectory, the general movement of our lives should be toward holiness and away from sin. He said, sin is a serious thing in your life. Don't take it lightly. See, one of the things that I think we're tempted to do is to kind of make a list. Maybe not, maybe not go full Catholic and, and make like cardinal sins and, and then uh, mortal sins and then uh, just kind of, you know, your regular um, run-of-the-mill sins. But, but let's be honest. Like, I think we all kind of rank things that are like the worst, right? Like committing outright first-degree cold-blooded murder is probably near the top. Okay, so like, okay, so that's the worst. Um, lying to my neighbor, eh, you know. I mean, there, are, you know, surely there are times where that's okay, right? We 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 like check off the the really bad sins. Well, okay, I haven't haven't shot anybody lately, so I, I, I'm doing pretty good in my Christian life, you know. Um, and, and this is exactly what Jesus does when he. When he says, you know, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you that if you hate anyone in your heart, you've already committed murder against them. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But, but I say to you, if you lust after anyone else, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So that's why we shouldn't treat sin like it's no big deal, right? Because we need to remember that sin was very expensive for God the Father and for Christ Jesus. Our sin cost Christ his life and caused God to send his only son in our place. As I said, we're going to get there in just a second. But at the same time, you don't beat yourself up when you slip and fall because for believers in Christ, we have this promise in 1 John chapter 3, which we're going to get to eventually, right? But look at this, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. So, so here's the promise that we have as believers in Christ. If, 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 if your life is marked by repentance, by turning from sin and trusting in Christ, John just gave us this promise that one day we are going to be like Christ. So why... Wouldn't we want our lives to look more and more like that here? Knowing, of course, we're not going to get there perfectly, but, but constantly seeking to put sin to death in our lives so that we might live our lives and look more like Christ did. Now, as we said, we can't do it, right? So, so I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if or when you sin... Look at what he says next. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. So he just gave us the remedy for, for our sin, right? So we have, we have a glaring reality, and that is that sin will never be completely absent from your life and from my life. But, but don't miss this. We have a gracious Redeemer. We have a gracious Redeemer. 
And aren't you glad that John just doesn't leave off with, hey, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, and then go on to something else? Because I would look at that and go, thanks, John, for writing these things so that we don't sin, but what do I do in the meantime? Because I still recognize that I'm a sinner, and he tells us this. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, an advocate is simply somebody who, who pleads for someone else on their behalf. A biblical word for that is, is an intercessor. So, somebody who stands in the gap for you. Now, now we understand this, right? Because in our, in our criminal justice system, people who have been accused of crimes are, are given advocates in, in the form of defense attorneys. And if they can't afford one, one's provided for them. Because we understand this. Everybody needs an advocate. Somebody who's fighting on their behalf. So, so since he's using kind of legal language here, imagine this scene for a minute. Imagine God the Father sitting as the judge. And you have Satan as the prosecutor. He's the, he's the accuser, okay? He's the one bringing the charges. And, and by the way, he's called the accuser in, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. You're the defendant. So you have God the judge, you have Satan who's, who's kind of the prosecuting attorney, he's bringing the charges against you, and, and, and you're sitting here. And Satan says, and in my case, he would say, Kyle has sinned. And according to your word, this sin demands death. Now that's true, right? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. All that's true. And so Jesus then, as, as, as your advocate, stands up and says, um, Father, what, what Satan's just said is true. Kyle has sinned. And according to your word, that sin does deserve death. But I would remind you that I paid for that sin on the cross. The price for Kyle's sin has been paid. These charges are baseless. The Bible says that's what happens. In your life and in my life, when we come to faith in Christ. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, writing about Christ, he says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. So, so here's a picture of Christ interceding, which simply means standing in the gap. The Bible presents us this picture of Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding, praying for, advocating for you and me on our behalf. As follower of Christ saying, yes, listen, I know, I know they're still sinner. I know, I know that they're, they're, they're not perfect yet, not by a long shot. But remember, I paid for that sin. And because Jesus was perfect and sinless, that sacrifice is sufficient to save. And the Bible tells us that he paid the price for your sins and for my sins in Romans chapter 3. It says they are justified freely by his grace. That, that word justified simply means made right, brought into right standing before God. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness 
Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Why do we need an atoning sacrifice? What on earth does that mean? Well, because God is not only love, which we've, we've talked about this before. We're going to talk about it again. The Bible says God is love, but the problem is people latch on to that, and that's the only thing they want to consider about God. Well, God's love. I mean, he's not really going to, he, he wouldn't ever really send someone to hell, right? Because God's love, and by that we mean he's wishy-washy. We mean that, that God is nice. He's too nice to do that, right? Well, as we saw in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, we also see that God is light, meaning all that is pure and all that is good. At the end of the book of 1 John, we're also going to see that he's truth. And so, as, we, as people live in darkness, error, or evil, that is offensive to a God who is completely holy and completely just. And in his righteous justice, something has to be done. Romans 1.18 talks about it this way. It says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Romans 3.10 says, there, as it is written, there is not one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is why you can't pay for your own sins, because you're not good enough to do it. And you won't be good enough. That's why we absolutely must understand the first reality that you and I will continue to wrestle with sin. So our sin is deserving of God's wrath, and in his justice, God demands that that sin be accounted for. So then God, in his great love for us, sent his son to pay the sacrifice for our sins on the cross, Romans 5, 8. But God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse has been described as the glorious exchange. All you have to bring is your sin, and all Christ has to bring is righteousness. And what he does is exchanges our sin and takes that on himself and in turn gives us his righteousness. Now, if you're paying attention, that's a good deal. Or as they would say in Dances with Wolves, good trade, right? Good, good trade. Now, let's focus really quickly on, on, a, on a phrase here in 1 John 2, 2. It says, He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Now, what do we do with that? Is, is this some kind of weird universalism where, where John's writing and saying, well, well ultimately everyone in, in the world is going to be saved because, because of Christ's sacrifice? And the simple answer to that is no. That's not what he's saying. So, so we deal with this tension. We, we deal with the fact the Bible clearly tells us that God desires, wants everyone to be saved. So, so for instance, 1 Timothy 2.4. He just, in, in 2.3, he, he finished that phrase talking about God our Savior. And he says this, God our Savior wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. John 3.16, which we know, right, says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son... 
so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Those verses, I think, make clear that God, God has left this open to everyone. God desires that everyone be, be saved. The, the way I've put this before is imagine that, uh, that there's a gift sitting underneath the Christmas tree with your name on it. Right? So the work's been done. The gift's been bought. It's been wrapped. Sitting underneath the Christmas tree. When does that gift become yours? When, when does it finally do you some good? When, when you receive it. What, what good does it do to, if you're walking around going, man, I got a gift underneath the Christmas tree? Really? Because it's September. Oh, yeah, but it's, man, you should have seen it. It's, this thing was big, and it had a big, nice, fancy bow on it. It's it's, that's going to be an awesome gift. What are you going to do with it? No, I'm just going to leave it there. I don't want to mess with it. No, no, right? And that, look, that's a bit of a ridiculous illustration. I understand that. But this, this, this all brings us here to this final point. So, so we have a glaring reality, and that is that you and I are sinners. And even as followers of Christ, we're going to continue to sin. Now, now we sin hopefully differently than the world does, right? Because the, the Bible makes clear that once you've come into the faith, of, into the faith, once you've come to faith in Christ Jesus and are following him, there's no going back. That's a one-way street. By grace are you saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. In other words, God's done all the work. You don't do anything to earn that. That's why arrogant believers drive me absolutely nuts. Right? I'm a follower of Christ. What did you do for that? You you, you said yes. You you surrendered. You said, yes, I'm I'm messed up. I'm surrendering my life to, to, to the one who saved me. So there should be no shred of pride or arrogance in the life of a believer. We have a gracious redeemer, but in order to realize this, even and listen, this is true for us as followers of Christ. We need a gospel response. We have to respond to the gospel. So let me, speak to, let me speak to two groups of people here, okay? So the first is this. If you would say you've never trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, you, you'd say, man, I, I'm not sure I've ever reached a point where I've turned from sin and I've trusted in Christ, where I've said, no, this is not the way I want to live anymore. I believe that, that Christ Jesus has a better way of life for me. And I want to turn from my sins. I want to trust in Him as Savior and Lord to forgive those sins. Bring me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. The, the Bible tells us how to do that. So Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Now, now what does that mean? What does the word confess there? It simply means we agree with God about our sin. Yes, I agree. I, I recognize sin in my own life, and I recognize I'm powerless to do anything about it. I turn away from that. I want to trust in Christ. And then in, in Acts 2.38, Peter tells us what else, what else to do. He says, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, so we confess our sins. 
We repent of them. We confess them. We trust in Christ. And then for the believer, the first step of obedience is baptism. That's, that's, our, that's our way of telling the world. That's the way Jesus uh, told the world that, that, that he was uh, identifying with the, God, with the uh, ministry of John. That's the command he gave us. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We identify with Christ through baptism, with his death and burial and resurrection. It's the symbol that, that, that we give to proclaim to the world that we've been saved. So maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I've never, I've never come to that point where I've trusted in, where I've turned from my sin and I've trusted in Christ. And so I, I would ask that today's that day for you, if, if you haven't. You would ask Christ to forgive. You would ask God to forgive your sins through Christ's sacrifice on your behalf and come to faith in him. But there's a second group of us in here too, and that is if we are already followers of Christ, right? And so what do we do as followers of Christ when we've, when we've turned from sin and trusted in Christ, and yet we still find ourselves tripped up by sin regularly? Well, in a lot of ways, it looks the same. We, we confess it, right? First John 1 John 1.9, we looked at this last week. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as a believer, when, when you know your, your life is secured in Christ, and yet you still recognize some stuff in there that shouldn't be in there, when, when God brings that to your attention, you confess. The way we put it last week is confession versus concealing. Yeah, you're right, I, that, that's there, that doesn't need to be there. As opposed to, no, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with all you dirty, rotten sinners. I'm just fine. I'm, no, no. We, we confess it. Secondly, this. Look, look at Ephesians 5.8. So he talks about the way that we're to live, right? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. I love how simple that is, right? It's, it's don't, don't live like people that are lost. Don't, don't live like the world. Live as children of light. Live like you've been saved. Live, live like you are where you are. And the last thing is this. We, we, we're obedient to what God's commanded us to do, right? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we confess sin when, we, when it comes to our life. And we, we try through grace-driven efforts, standing on the Word of God, to live our lives in accordance with what God said. And when we fall, what do we do? We confess. Knowing that, that God's not going to look down on you, that he's not angry at you, but that, that he still loves you. You're, you're, that sin is still forgiven. And, and here's the thing that I think a lot of us aren't convinced of. Maybe, maybe we're convinced that God loves us. But I wonder if we believe that God likes us. Can, can, man, can I just tell you, I, I think... I have ample biblical evidence to stand on this. When, when Jesus interacted with, with folks who were caught in sin, you didn't see him hurling stones. You didn't see him looking down. You, you didn't. Listen, when you're in the kingdom of God, when, when you're seeking to follow after him, God likes you. I, I really believe that. So that means, listen, when we, when we sin and we, we come back, he's not, he's not standing there like a stern, angry father, right, with his arms crossed, like tapping his foot, way, wagging a finger at us. What, what do we see when, when the, the prodigal son returns? We see the father running to go welcome his son back. 
We don't see him making a list. Well, you know, you've got to earn your way back into this family. Or even, as much as I love James Dobson, we don't see him saying, well, I've got to, we've got to do some tough love here to, to get you back on track. No, he says, welcome back. You're restored to sonship. All right, so then the question is, how do we do that? We've already mentioned this, but first of all, it's baptism, not in order to be saved, but because you are saved. I don't wear my wedding band so that I am, so that I will be married. I wear it because I am married. It's the same way with baptism. It's a symbol of what we do. Second of all, you read the Bible. It's, it's amazing, right? So the Bible's God's word to us. And if we want to know him and his plans for how we should live, we have to know what he said. This is, the pri- this is still the primary way God communicates to his people. It's through his word. You want to know what God is like? You want to know what he's said to you? It's it's right here for you. And then the third is is simply this, and I know this is kind of funny saying to a group of folks sitting in a local church, but you get involved in a local church. So so I would say this, if you're attending and you're not yet a member, I would say come and ask about membership. Look into what membership means. It's saying publicly, this is the church I want to pour my life into. These are the people I want to pursue Jesus with. Get involved in a small group where where real relationships happen. That's where real friendships are forged at church is in small groups. Where you sit down around a table or or with the Bible open and just talk about not only the Bible but about life. That's how we get to know one another and build relationships. So don't overlook this, this reality, the, the glaring reality that we have, that, that even as a follower of Christ, you're going to trip and fall at times. May we never take for granted that we have a gracious Redeemer. May that cause us not to just write sin off as no big deal, but that we would take sin seriously because Christ took it seriously. And then may our responses be bathed in the gospel. So we we recognize that when we see sin in our lives as followers of Christ, we have the freedom to confess and experience fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And just like Paul wrote, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's, there's what? There's freedom. There's freedom. Not freedom to sin, freedom from sin. If you're here and you'd say, I've never, I've never crossed that line of faith. I've never come into a relationship with Christ. I pray today's the day. I'd love to visit with you, pray with you, and show you what that looks like. Let's pray and then we'll stand and sing our closing song. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you just for the chance to gather together and to open up your word. I thank you for, for the words that you gave John to give to us that that we might know, we might have assurance that even when we slip and fall as believers, we're not kicked out of the kingdom. We're not put in some sub-rate Christian group. But that we still have forgiveness of sins. We still have freedom to walk in the, in the Spirit. So when we recognize sin in our lives, we can lead us to confess and repent quickly so that fellowship will be restored. There will be nothing hindering our fellowship with you. And that as we are people who are, who are honest about our sins, honest about our struggles, that that might um, forge community here. 
people from all different walks of life and, and social economic backgrounds and different races, and that, that we would find our identity not in who we are or what we do, but in who you are and the fact that we are loved and forgiven people. If there's anyone in the room this morning who's not a follower of Christ, I pray today's the day they, they take that step of faith and say, yes, I'm trusting in what Christ has done on my behalf. For those of us who are followers of Christ, help us to live like it. Help us to live in confession and repentance and following after you as best we can in your grace. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. If you'd like to contact us, please use the contact us form at www.fbcalamo.com to get in touch with us and let us know how we can pray for you or serve you. If you have a question for Pastor Kyle, you can contact him by email at kyle at fbcalamo.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you and have a good week.